What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 84 of the Modern Drummer Podcast. It's Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com. My co-host, who will be joining me shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. Once Mike and I get all caught up, we'll discuss our favorite sticking patterns and how we use them on the kit. Our featured artist this time is Mr. Dale Crover from the band The Melvins. In our gear review section, we'll be checking out the Tama Classic Stand and the Star Single Tom Stand. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. How do you move on from that? <laughs> Episode 84. 84. You lie. <laughs> yes, and uh, you're probably going to hear some snow plows in the background. They're still cleaning up from the blizzard, so my What apologies. was that all about? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not in a soundproof, poof, poof, soundproof, <laughs> poof, boof, like you uh. are. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm protected here from our uh, 75 degrees and zero wind. Yeah, um, and we also I had someone ask a question like, who, which one of us lives near an airport? Uh, oh, because the planes are always going over you guys. Yeah, because yep. we're right in line with Newark Airport, so it's like every hour you hear a jet going over. So yeah, <laughs> barring any uh, foam treatment on this little office here, they're going to hear some plows and some airplanes and who knows what else. Probably someone's real life lunch. Who knows? <laughs> I'm sure. Do you have your do not disturb thing on your phone? I do. Going? There'll be no. Okay. There'll be no phone calls. At least I'm getting professional Good. here. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. <laughs> That's okay. I, I don't think I've ever pronounced anyone's name right in any intro in all 84 episodes. So <laughs> I will probably mess up Dale's name today. We'll get there. Uh, how's life? Everything good? Yeah, all's all right. You know, it's kind of a, we had the return of winter, so my mood has been pretty macabre for the past week. Macabre. Great use of vocabulary. Yeah, wow. I've been listening to nothing but like lifeless ambient music and just like <laughs> I don't want to even think about like living right now. <laughs> Dude, it is time to move. Oh my goodness gracious. Yeah, I don't good. even want to think about living. It's a great it's a great <laughs> space to be in, man. I'm you know, existing. I mean there's only, you can only go up from there. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Anyways, welcome to episode 84, everybody. Uh, apparently, your life can't be worse than ours. Well, no, uh, yours is God. fine. If you're on the East Coast, okay. you're definitely underneath some, man, some winter gloom. I, I, I saw some video footage today of some people standing outside waiting for an Amtrak train. Did you see this? No. No. I live it, okay, man. Okay, so... <laughs> So they're waiting for their Amtrak train. So it's not subway, but but it, it was maybe Boston, maybe New York, somewhere on the East Coast. And the tra- and the track itself had just gotten like a foot and a half of snow mm. since the last time the train came by. So they're waiting, and this Amtrak comes and obliterates the people waiting with snow. <laughs> nice. Like they're all filming it. Like this is going to be so cool. It's going to be so cool. And. It was. It, it looked like a scene out of a movie. Like they were just gone, <laughs> and I'm sure the dude got off the train. He's like, uh, "Anyone? Where? Where is everybody?" They were gone. So I'll, I'll send you a link. It was. Oh, it was killer, and it made me think. Woof! Glad I, I was kind of complaining. We had a bit of wind yesterday, but I'm I'm done complaining. <laughs> and I I'm think complaining. Uh, I think Benny Grib has one of his camps in upstate New York this weekend. I think. Oh yeah, I, that is. Yeah. Yeah. So he's dealing oh. with probably about. At least a foot and a half, two feet of snow. There. Man, and and that's the place that uh, we've done our camps. That if you get when you get there, there's like this little village that the that the place has for you. As far as it's where you hold the camp, it's where um, all the dorm rooms. You know, it's kind of set up like a hotel out in the middle of the wilderness. But then about I don't know, not far, maybe three hundred yards away is this separate set of cabins, and I always request to go there. I'm an only child. It's like, just put me up there where <laughs> yeah. no one else is. The only problem is, it is a bit of a hike. And so, yeah, last time it was just barely snowing, and it was freezing, and I was complaining like a little sissy. <laughs> and so if if somebody thought, yeah, I'll, I'll spend the extra money to get the cool cabin, oh, they're in for a treat. Bring your snowshoes. Yeah, yeah <clears throat> I have got a few students there at that camp, So, uh, um, and I was telling them, you know, for some weird reason, some of my students feel that if they're going to go to a different camp other than mine, they have to make sure that they let me know so that I don't discover it on social media. And I'm like, dude, trail. It, I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm like, we're not teams. Hell, I if if I had the time right now, I'd be at Benny's camp. Oh, yeah, I, I think, you know. And the good thing is, I like 
especially if it's a student of mine that's maybe been to three or four camps, and then they say, I'm going to Benny Greb's camp. It's like, oh, man, he's, gonna, he's going to open your mind to so many things because of the way he sees this instrument differently than I do. Mm-hmm. This could only benefit you. None of it will fly in the face of what I've taught you. It'll only enhance things, but it'll give you a completely different perspective. So I, I think it's absolutely awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, talking about different perspectives, sticking patterns seem to be set in stone, yet every time I hear Stanton Moore play his famous sticking pattern, yeah. I'm like, that guy gets a lot of use out of those eight notes, yeah, man. Yeah, man. That's the uh, thing. There's, there's like these these glorious patterns that just, no matter what, they sound great. That's one of them. So what is his sticking? It's like right, right, left, right, right, left. Right, right, left. Has to be right, right, left, right, right, left, right, left. No. Yeah. I know what you're talking. I can hear it on his cowbell, right? Right, left, right, left. Yeah. What the heck is it? It's three, it's three, three, two, right? No, it's not. What the heck is it? <laughs> Gosh. Can we start over? Is this episode? Yeah, you're right. Three, three, two. You're right. You're right. Right, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, right, right, left, right, right, left, right, left. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's funny because I don't, when I hear him play it, I don't want to think of rights and lefts. I just, I just like it because he keeps moving around. I'm like, that can't be the same eight notes. Yes, yes, it always is. That's something that uh, my uh, Mark DiCiani, when I was in grad school, he, because I was always kind of like, you have to know exactly what you're playing. You never want to play licks. You never want to play patterns. You want to kind of always be free and open. But he was like, yeah. But if you have a sticking pattern, that just frees up your your mental space to now explore subdivisions and sounds and. You can get yeah. infinite variations from one sticking. So I, I felt like it was cheating. Like, oh, I'm just going to play some stickings right. and not really know what it does. But he kind of like gave me permission. Like, no, use that well, as your tool. Let's let's do a little thought experiment. Uh, how about the next sentence you say, don't use a word that you've ever learned before. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So how can you speak if you don't know any words? There's nothing wrong with knowing the words. Uh, it's It's the fact that... I'm not predetermining the sentence that I'm about to say to you, it's, but the sentence will be made up of vocabulary that I do know by heart. And that's what allows me to speak freely. And, and I think I, I agree with you. I think there's a blurry line in there somewhere because we look at somebody like Ari Honig or Mark Giuliano and we think they're not thinking. It's just, you know, it's just mastery and it's just coming from this magical place. But we, we know both or you know Ari and I know Mark and that's not the case. They know exactly what they've practiced so hard on very specific things so that they don't have to think anymore. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so I think sticking patterns are okay. I'm going to go geek on you here. Okay. Did you ever see Harry Potter? The first one? Uh, I don't think so. Damn it. I was really hoping that I wasn't going <laughs> to be the only geek here. Okay. Well, so Anyways, old Harold has to choose a wand, and the wand master says, you don't choose the wand, the wand chooses you. And the reason why I brought that up, which is like the lamest thing I've ever said on this podcast, (laughs) is because I really do think sticking patterns, like, they already exist, and they're already cool. Steve Gadd has proven that they're all cool. But certain ones kind of just choose you, and it's like, I don't know, this one's easier than that one, Mm -hmm. you know? And, I mean, if you look at a paradiddle and an inverted paradiddle, there's nothing different other than the order of the notes, but it's, you know, you've got two singles and a double yeah. um, for every four notes, but one of them will click with you much more than the other. And both of them make a backbeat, you know, both of them groove great. Which one do you like? I like the inverted. Inverted. Yeah. That one just seems to have more music in it. But with that one, the problem is I learned this, the standard paradiddle first and for so long that the inverted was cool because I learned it second. And it was a variation mm. of whatever it was doing. So I'm kind of biased on that one. Be- I can tell you right now, my the pattern that chose me, I don't even know if it has a name. I call it a Garibaldi diddle. But the first four notes are a standard right-hand paradiddle. And the second four notes are a standard left-hand inverted paradiddle. So it's right, left, right, right, left, right, right, left. And so That's it's almost like the Stanton new- Moore thing. It's just like an inversion of it. Yeah, and and I think of it as like the Neil Peart uh, ride symbol, ding to ding to ding, ding to ding. So the groove is doom to get to doom, doom to get to doom, doom to get to doom, doom to get to doom. 
So that's like the one that I just I don't even know that I'm doing. It's just falling out of my hands. So hmm. it's right hand standard paradiddle, left hand inverted paradiddle. What about you? Do you have an eight note pattern that just it just shows up without you thinking? Oh, I mean, it would probably just be two inverted paradiddles that just in okay. sequence. So the left hand lands ding, on the, the backbeat. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that would be the one probably that I default to. That's your guy. Anything. Yeah, it just it just has a for me it just has more more texture, more more dynamic interest than like a regular paradiddle. Just sounds like you have to always hit one. You're always hitting the down. You're always hitting the down. Right. But yeah. the inverted paradiddle, you can kind of if you accent the fourth note of each grouping, it gives you you know just all kinds of cool stuff. And I think yeah, you, you can mask it really well rather than the paradiddle. It's like, oh, there's the paradiddle. But right. Well, that's. I think that's the what's in our heads is that if I play a standard paradiddle groove, every drummer in the crowd is going to know what it is, and most of their most of their friends and wives are going to know what it is too, mm-hmm. uh, or husbands. You know, so it's one of those things where it's like, ah, it's so standard. I don't want to do it. But I will say this: I had one of my buddies here years ago, um, and he was playing. And he was just ripping some fusion, like bananas, you know, uh, <laughs> full. If Mike Stern just cranked it up to 240 BPM and, and and Vinny was the only one that could play it. And I was like, what the hell was that? And he slowed it down from two whatever all the way down. And he was literally just playing the standard paradiddle. But it was so masked with ghosting that first note, popping one of the doubles. Uh, mm. that I just couldn't hear it, you know. So I, I think that, but I think the key is that you find music in it. You know, when I think of the the standard paradiddle, I think of those first three hi hat notes, chet chet chet. So it's like chet chet chetu, chet chet chetu, chet chet chetu. But when I think of the inverted paradiddle, it's hipper to me because it's chet chet cat, chet chet cat. Right. Don't do cat do do. And there's like naturally ghost notes in the middle, which is kind of a real instinctual way to play. I think. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, so, and the, and you know, sticking patterns don't have to be uh, they don't have to be constant sixteenth notes. I think in Rich Redman's article in this month's issue, doesn't he have it as four? Isn't it like a four sixteenths and two eighths? Yeah, but he's just got, using that, just that fragment over the 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 right side of an inverted paradiddle. Exactly, just do, one beat, got, one one count worth of yeah sixteenth notes. Right, one E and a. Yep. And then if you get used to just that into the backbeat, one E and a two, dip it to get. All the time when my students ask me, like, hey, what can I do for stage two creative? I'll say, I want you to just groove, but the first five notes have to be that exact pattern. Right, left, left, right, left. And you're going to go dupa but to get. And then for beats two, three, and four, or the rest of two, three, and four, it's up to you. Dupa but to get. Yeah. You know, and and then now you're on a journey, and that seems like a good maybe, way to kind of keep the. Um, <clears throat> you can kind of flow with that forever and never feel like you're running out of ideas or having to invent anything. And but it's still yeah exactly you're, you don't feel like you have to invent anything because it's still part of a motif right there's yeah. there's this anchor that every four bars we're going to reset you're fine and all of a sudden silence becomes cool but to get. And you can have it kind of spaced out like that. Right. You have subdivisions, and maybe put the bass drum on that second hi hat. Chip I gotta stop singing. But anyways, <laughs> now what about? I mean, I think everyone kind of gravitates towards the paradiddles. But what about more complex stickings? Is there any any sticking that you've? you've kind of explored because well, i know i really haven't i mean things like the swiss triplet and the the flam drag maybe but i haven't really thought of those becoming part of like my standard lexicon no i mean well most of them are too short um it's really hard to make something i mean when i think of swiss triplets flam accents that to me is more in the world of improvising on the drum set more fill based solo based stuff the longer patterns Especially the six note patterns. I would say that I use more of the six note patterns than I do the four note patterns. So paradiddle diddle mm. and paradiddle diddle left hand lead. I use that a lot. So if I play one double paradiddle with my right hand, chet chet tet, tet then I'll go left hand lead paradiddle diddle. Ba du pa ba So chet 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 ba du pa ba chet 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 ba du pa ba chet chet. So, so yeah, so all the six note ones, I mean, that's where I never really, 
I don't know. When when I thought of halftime shuffles, I never thought of them as halftime shuffles. I thought of them as triplet-based grooves. So mm-hmm. once I learned a halftime shuffle, then I started thinking, well, what else can I do? And, and then groups of six naturally fit into that. So that if I had three or four halftime shuffles in a set list, then it's like, well, I don't want to play the same one every time. And really all they're looking for here is a 16th note triplet based groove so yeah, right. that's when all the, so i would say the paradiddle diddle is my is my personal most used sticking pattern that is an actual rudiment um, but i mix that in with double paradiddles six stroke rolls right um, yeah so. you know one little fragment that i've just noticing pops up all the time it's the single drag but i play it as triplet so it's like a a right diddle so right right and then a left accent Okay, and as I, triplets. So. As triplets or whatever it is, the left hand is not on the downbeat. It's on the offbeat. Gotcha. I use that as like a tool to kind of transition into phrases a lot. I just realized that, mm. that okay. it's kind of just a habit. It seems to be kind of a cool way to kind of play a fill that doesn't obviously hit on beat four or something like that. It kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah. It kind of propels me into a new section. But it's just it's just three notes, just right, right, left. Wow. Man, I think it'd be really cool if we gave each other maybe once a month a sticking pattern with no subdivision. It was just R's, L's, and even K. You know, if you want to put kick in there, I think um, once you're into the, the linear world, then then kick is is in there as well. Um, but it'd be really cool to say, okay, what would you naturally do with this pattern? And then we just record ourselves and play a little bit of it. Like, what did you come up with? And I bet we would come up with very different things. Probably. Um, I mean, I'm I'm don't do a lot of linear stuff, so that would be an, an obvious place to start. Like. Here's cool. here's a linear thing that I've I'm sure I've never tried before. So let's right. see what happens. Yeah, yeah I mean I, I know right now a lot of my grooves are are starting with my four notes are almost the same as what Rich Redmond had in his article, except for um, he has right uh, right left left right. Yep. Okay, so I do kick right right kick, and then the second um, note of the double is accented, so it's do do do. So, okay. And so that little kick, right, right, kick, that shows up in my playing all the time right now. Um, and yeah, so we, uh, I'll, maybe next week I'll, I'll set out a little linear pattern. <laughs> It'd be cool if it, if it wasn't like long. It's just like, okay, here's four notes what my my interest would be what journey does this take you on i i'm not worried yeah. that you can't play kick right right kick what i'm thinking is do you use it as the beginning of a triplet phrase or do you space it out i mean there's an infinite amount of possibilities there so all right, well, let's do it. That's our homework, and we've got to do it in a what, – what episode are we on? 84? Let's set a number. 90. 90. <laughs> you got it. All right. All right. Will do. All right, guys. So check out Rich Redmond's article on stickings that rock. It is in the current issue of Modern Drummer. And uh, Rich is one of those beautiful souls that can show you, hey, if you think this stuff isn't important, this basic stuff – uh, check my bank account. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's working. Check, yeah, check <laughs> he the, he would never sales. say that. <laughs> he would never say that. But uh, it's working. So all right, guys, it's time to get into our featured artist. <laughs> our featured artist this time is Mr. Dale Crover. Uh, I learned about him from the Melvins, and uh, so you have here that he played with Nirvana. Yeah, he was. I think he's on a couple tracks on Bleach, and he did some really? shows. Yeah, there you can find some clips if you YouTube just. Dale Crover, Nirvana. There's some live footage of him playing with Nirvana, and l- you really would think it's Dave Grohl. Like the same, really? same look, giant drums, sitting super low, long hair. I, he probably not wearing a shirt. I don't remember, but it's. I mean, it's. You can tell that when Dave joined the band, he's like, okay, I'm going to do my best Dave uh, Dale Crover impression and then make it my own. Wow, he's, that's awesome. Yeah, he's man. kind of the forerunner. I mean, it's, I think he's. He's certainly getting some attention now, but back then I didn't really know who the Melvins were. When I was really into Nirvana, I didn't I didn't okay. know who the Melvins were. I think a lot of my peers were the same way, and eventually were like, "Oh yeah, there's this band that was kind of doing this Nirvana thing before Nirvana that they just and it was heavy hits. at the time, man. It was heavy, yeah, um, and droney. I remember sludgy. Our, the we, people, I think of it as like yeah. sludgy, sludgy, totally, rock. yeah. The people in my scene here in Sacramento, you know, uh, at the time. The Deftones were sounding like Bad Brains. You know, they had like a Rasta feel to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
with the Melvins, it was all about tone. Like our guitar players around town were like, how do you get your guitar to do that? Yeah. You know? yeah. I remember having my first practice when we went to drop D, you know, and it was like, <laughs> oh, damn, <laughs> going down. Um, and the Melvins were all a, a part of that. And I will say this. I didn't know who Dale was at all until uh, you guys had him on the cover, what, two decades ago? I mean, it was, or was it a decade ago? It was a it's while It's probably back. been five years or so. Oh, really? That's it? I I thought it was... Was that his only cover? Yeah, Yeah, his only cover. Okay, well, maybe it was an ad, because I I remember it was a long time ago, but I saw him and I was like, that dude looks scary. Yeah, well, he's had had features. Yeah, he had features way back when, you know, whatever it was called, the stoner rock genre kind of took over a little bit. Right, well, and at that time, the glam rock thing was still just fading out, so that's... In my mind, a drummer was Rod Morgenstein, Bobby Rock. That's what I was used to seeing in Modern Drummer. And then I see this picture of Dale, and I'm like, okay, I got to find out what's going on with this cat. <laughs> yeah. the, um, so he's got a new project now? Yeah, what is it called? It's called um, Crystal, Crystal Fairy. Fairy. Yeah, so it's got Omar from Mars Volta and nice. uh, what is her name? Terry Genderbender from Le Butcherettes, which I believe she is Omar's girlfriend, or, or they're somehow related. They're in this. They're both in okay. Uh, Le Butcherettes, so you can actually stream it on Melvin's. What's their website? Melvin's.net. They have the whole record up for streaming. It sounds like Melvin's. I mean, it's big and okay. it, oh, and, and Buzz is in the band too. So it's 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 Dale and Buzz from the Melvin's, and then Omar and Terry from Le Butcherettes. It's, wow. It has like the heavy sludgy Melvin's thing. The guitar tone is like like fudgy thick, thick. yeah. <laughs> and the drums thick. are just pummeling. Uh, but you know, it's got a female vocalist, so it's a slightly different vibe, and it's really cool. I mean, he's a powerhouse, and I think he's he's yeah. got to to play those tempos, those kind of like down tempos and mm. things. It's, yeah, he's got some conviction, and I believe he's still playing with marching sticks. The old uh, quant- the regal up. tip quantums with like they look like yeah. they have marble tips on the front of them. Yeah, those big old nylon tips. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember those. Those things are long too. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's using those. So. What a stud! Maybe that's how he gets all the muscle, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he's actually really in shape now. I mean, he kind of he was a bigger guy for a long time, but he's he's pretty damn trim now. If you see him, he's wow. taking care of himself. Nice, man. Now. Have you heard any of the Crystal Fairy stuff? Yeah. I mean, I checked it out the other day because we had this story uh, that just came out, and it just sounds interesting. I think cool. everything that, that Dale does is just is interesting. It's cool. All the Melvins That's stuff. Awesome. They got a couple of, like, there's an acoustic record that the Melvins put out. I mean, the Melvins playing acoustic music. Really? And he's playing with, like, rods and, <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. Now, who's he, still, who's he playing for drum-wise? Um, what's he got here? Tama drums, Tama Peisty cymbals, um, Aquarian heads, Regal tip sticks. He's using some of those Pete Engelhart crazy metal uh, sculpture things. That's awesome, and uh, looks like he's got a little bit of uh, outboard gear. Yeah, in the article, <laughs> just a little bit. What a stud, man! Look at all those effects pedals back there. You know, they did a tour a couple years ago where they hit every state i believe in 50 days 50 states in 50 days i mean really yeah these oh, guys you know what i remember that i think we even we might have talked about that like early on in the podcast or maybe you and i just talked about it maybe. Um, on the phone together i rem- i totally remember that 50 um, states I remember it was in just, 50 days i mean how brutal yeah <laughs> no thanks that maybe that's why he's uh that's why he's staying in shape man he's got to he's got to otherwise he's going to die yeah right. I, I can't believe i'm looking at it right now I think he looks younger than he did back in the nineties. That's what I'm saying. Dude's taking care of himself. That, but it's not fair. Like, <laughs> is that makeup? How does someone's skin look that good? That sucks. I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go stop at Nordstrom's and get some Kiehl's products. <laughs> look like a damn catcher's mitt. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna let Anyways. you keep on going about it. Velcro's skin. <laughs> It's buttery smooth. What the, what kind of deal did he sign with the devil? It's not fair. Oh, man. I mean, the grooves are fat, too. I mean, honestly, I learned to play slow tempos from him and Kelly, uh, Kelly Scott from the band Failure. Oh, yeah. And those were my two guys. Well, and the two bands that were writing a lot of songs at, like, 42 BPM. And the fills were 
And I was just like, man, I'm going to have to put together 20-inch crashes to make the hi-hat sound like that. I mean, it was just – but the thing is, even when I would record myself doing it, you can hear me almost on the downbeat of every one, pull it back again, pull it back again. Mm. These guys just do it naturally. Yeah. Um, and it's just they're, – they're comfortable there. You know, I, I kind of feel like if I said, Dale, count me in, whatever you want, just count me in. I feel like he'd go, one. and i'd be like oh my god that's your natural tempo and i think he'd be like yeah that's that's how i hear the world man (laughs) it's like and i i feel the same with kelly from from failure he'd you know he just kind of like i feel like if somebody honks at him it's like (laughs) and he's like i'm going you know and it's just like you have to be it has to be in you to play those slow tempos to play those massive fills with so much space. You know, when yeah. I play slow tempos, it's like, cool. I can fill this thing with 30 seconds. Yeah, right. Might even be able to reach for 60 fourths. You need some of those and quantum the, sticks then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And those guys really have that, you know, shat-doom, goom, doom, doom. And it's just, it's incredible, man. Yeah, he writes really so, cool part. And I, th- I believe the, when the Melvins tour, they still have a second drummer. Um, I think it's Cody Willis. Okay. So there's a lot of cool, like, it kind of takes me back to being in percussion ensemble where they would they write sections where they're playing all these ridiculous unison lines that seem to go on forever but they're just super tight and at one point they were they had their kits kind of set up to where they were sharing elements so it was like this weird oh, wow. octopus drummer that was oh okay you know, i get it like they had like symmetrical kits and they were sharing like a cymbal or or something like that <laughs> really cool that's really cool really cool and their drum sounds are just they have to be using floor toms for rack toms. Yeah, no, it's massive. That's what I'm saying. Is like I remember listening to it. And I'm like, I, I can't. I my head's turned to paper if I get them that low. <laughs> yeah. Like you know, yeah. but I, but uh, but I was dealing with a 10 inch rack tom, so it just wouldn't go down. <laughs> it just wouldn't do it. Awesome. Well, guys, uh, check out Dale Crover. You can check out his new group, Crystal Fairy, and obviously you can uh, check out everything he's ever done with the Melvins and Nirvana. And uh, yeah, so check it out. Yeah. All right, it's time for gear review. This is, man, wait till you guys hear this. <laughs> what? What can you say about the sweet tone of a Tama Classic stand? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And we reviewed a Tom stand. I mean, yeah, the Tom whew. stand, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about buttery tone. My God. Uh, so, has Tama before had the flat base stuff, or is this new for them? This was something that I believe Peter Erskine kind of urged them to design. So, he. <laughs> When he pushed into production, yeah, he put. So what it is is kind of. Mo- I'm, I'm sure. I think it was a pick of a week for me a while ago. But yep. what they did was they took like the old Ludwig style single brace stands from the '60s and kind of redesigned them and made them a little bit beefier. So the the upper portion is actually solid steel, so it doesn't really wobble as much. And okay, it still has the tooth tilter. It's not like a toothless tilter. It still has the old quick, school quick, one, quick, but. Quick. It's a great stand, and I've been using it. Um, I've been using it on like hard rock gigs, and it doesn't it doesn't tilt. And I actually took that and an old uh, Slingerlands, no, old Ludwig stand to a gig, and the Ludwig stand definitely started to fall over and lose its strength. But the uh, the Thomas stand didn't budge. I even had to ride cymbal on it; it didn't move. Really? Yeah. So I think these are anyone who's looking to really streamline their setup and get super lightweight. Uh, these are pretty stable. I mean, unless you're like using quantum regal tip quantum marching sticks, I think <laughs> I think it'll hold up to whatever you're doing. So, and um, I'm trying to find it. Yeah, this is crazy affordable. Yeah. So, I one thing I've always wanted to ask you, and, and maybe our listeners would want to know. I'm assuming you guys have to put in the list price, right? You're not allowed to put in what it's going to possibly cost if they find it online. Yeah, right? it's it's that's always kind of a, a point of debate because we all kind of know retail prices are fake. Uh, right. But we have to have some kind of standard. So in general, we put list prices. Uh, if there is gotcha. no list price, we'll put map price, minimal advertised right. price. Um, it's just it's kind of tough because you can't, you know, some dealers might sell it at a 60% off just for a week and you might find it cheaper, but we can't sure. We can't print that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, well, I mean, it's funny because you guys have it listed at $100, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, that's a great price for the stand. And then I looked it up, and it's $60 yes. at yeah. Sweetwater, MF. Uh, actually, you can get it at B&H Photo uh, right down the street from you guys <laughs> in New York. And uh, <clears throat> But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a $60 stand. Yeah. I mean, 
dude, I have I have three stands on my kit. I could for under two hundred bucks, I could replace it with with these. DW would freak, um, but I could. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> And my hardware bag would get a heck of a lot lighter. Yeah, each one weighs 3.2 pounds. And wow. when you fold them up, they're 23 inches long. So I was oh actually God. able to throw it into my cymbal bag and carry it in my cymbal bag and zip it wow. up. And, and still zip yeah, I was going to say, if, if, if your bag fits a 24-inch ride. Yeah, and not really notice it adding too much wow. weight. <clears throat> that's really cool. And then they have the single tom stand as well. Yeah. Now, is that that's from the, the same polar, line or is that totally different? That's the polar opposite. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this would the... be like, again, it was another thing that Peter Erskine wanted. He wanted to he wanted to be able to put his rack tom on a stand and not have it flying from a cymbal stand. He didn't want to use a snare basket because no matter what, it chokes off some of the sound. Sure. So they, they designed this this single tom stand in their star series, and their star series is their you know cream of the crop high-end right. line. So this is a massive stand. It is heavy. <laughs> it's double braced. Um, it has a big old steel L arm to hold the tom in there. But you know it works. It it does what it's supposed to do. I'm looking at it right now. So if you guys just go to YouTube and um, you can type in, uh, you actually you can just go to Thomas' official page on YouTube. But I'm looking at a Peter Erskine video, uh, and it's just Peter Erskine dash featuring Tama, the classic stand and. I'm actually so he's got the classic symbol stand right in front of him that he's about to talk about, but he's got his 12 inch tom on that stand, yeah. and you're right, like the picture doesn't really do with justice how massive that L arm is. Yeah, it's big. It's huge, <laughs> and uh, but his tom looks sturdy. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's so it's, it's ain't going nowhere. That's the opposite. Like if you if you don't want to have if you like heavy stands, but you don't want to fly your rack tom from a simple stand, this gives you that extra. You know, extra flexibility, and it can extend far enough where you can you can get the rack tom pretty much over the center of the bass drum, so it's not restricted like a snare basket sure. where it always has to be off to the side. Right. You can fly it over the drum pretty far. That's I think that's why it has to be so heavy, heavy duty, so it doesn't tip yep. over. Uh, but yeah, that's a neat option. Um, for me, I, I would prefer the classic stand and just a, a similar similarly lightweight snare basket that I would use for my rack tom for what gotcha. I'm doing, but. <clears throat> sure, it's cool they have the options. I mean, these things. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say that the um, that the symbol stand, the classic stand, it, it just seems like for for the guy or the girl that's out there gigging a lot and loading in and loading out. It, I mean, I know DW makes these flat base stands as well. I don't know if they're as light as this because um, I just don't have them, but I know they're pretty light. But I mean, this just seems like almost a must have. It's you know? I. I I'm not positive, but it, I think this is the smallest, lightest version of that I've ever seen. It it, it looks okay. just like the old old uh, '60s Ludwig things, just better. That's cool. Uh, yeah, like I have no, some of the awesome, single brace man. stuff, and it doesn't it just doesn't fold up quite as small, and it, it still kind of feels like a symbol stand. You know, you have to have right. a, a symbol stand. You have to have a hardware bag for it. Whereas this, you could hold three of them in one hand and carry it in and have no no issue. That'd be like. Oh, it's so awesome. Under 13 pounds to carry three cymbal stands in. That's awesome. Well, <clears throat> let's give it a listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man. Woo. You're going to have to do listen an extra long intro drum part just I to know. <laughs> satisfy it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. Well, uh, this gives us a little extra time to get to a bunch of your guys' questions. So uh, if you guys want to keep sending in your questions, please do. MDinfo at moderndrummer.com. Also, it's time to remind you, please, if you get a chance, just go to iTunes or Podcast One or wherever you listen to this podcast and give us a nice four or five star review. And just know that Mike and I do read those reviews, so please uh, write whatever you want. And after you give us a five-star review, you're more than welcome to rip us to pieces in the text. <laughs> Just hit hit all the stars so that more drummers can find this podcast. All right. All right. What do we got, buddy? We got a whole slew of them. So this one comes from Jack, and this is about the uh, the Beatnik Rhythmic Analyzer pad that I've been mm-hmm. unofficially endorsing for, for months now. Um, <clears throat> so he's saying, my question is, what do you two consider a quality score for whatever you're working on? Should you be shooting for 80%, 90%, or at what point do you say that's pretty decent? And also, do you guys ever work in the expert level? Uh, well, I can tell you right now, um, I clearly have a different mindset because they're pretty decent doesn't fly. Yeah, uh, right. 100. Yeah. 
100%. There's nothing. There's nothing else. I, I now obviously I, I recognize. Oh, good day. I got 94, but mm. 100. Like that's. I, I just. I don't know. I can't give up on something until I. Until I nail it. Until that's, I get an A plus. That's why I like that thing. If you're if you're kind of a a video game kind of mentality, or if you just if you're an overachiever, you know, like I right. If I set it at medium level and I'm working on just a normal pace, you know, 80 to 90, 100 BPM, whatever I'm doing, paradiddles or whatever, if I'm in the medium level, 100% is, is definitely possible. It's not out of the question to get that. Uh, when you bump it up to the high level, I've never had 100%. It's usually between, like, if I feel like I'm really nailing it, it's like the high 80s, low 90s. Right. Expert level, I think, is absolutely impossible to get above. 75% for me at this point. Gotcha. Uh, if even that, I don't even try expert level because it's it's just it's silly. It's ridiculously tight threshold like right. you have to play 100% accurate or else it just drops way off. The, you the know, chart. something I've been wondering too is cuz we have that same type of thing on the Yamaha electric kits that we use with the campers. Right. We also have the Beatnik. I know that sound travels about 1 millisecond per foot. Um or one foot per millisecond. So at some point when you're getting to that expert level, is there a delay between the beep happening on the machine and the three to four feet it takes to reach your ear um, and the reaction time it takes for you? Because now it's not about your timing. It's about your reactions to a sound. And what is the latency in real time between that? Um, would you get a better score if you were using in-ear monitors and going directly from the brain? Um, I'm yeah, curious. I always do. I never use speakers, so that would be okay. That would be a point of advice if anyone's curious about getting this pad. It is it, it comes with with little earbuds, and I just use those because I usually sit 19 feet away from the pad and I run to it for every beat, <laughs> and I think it's throwing off my timing a little bit. You pump it into the hallway. <laughs> yeah, I just do wind sprints and I put it at 20 BPM and I run all the way down to the end and back. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I think it's throwing off my timing a little bit. But. <clears throat> so I guess to answer no, the yeah, question, I think, I think I think if you're if you're in the medium level, any if you're getting to the high 80s or mid 80s, I think you're you're doing pretty good. Yeah, I would say and, that's a that's a pretty satisfying level, but I will I guarantee you 100% is possible. It may feel like it's impossible, but 100% is possible on the medium level. Yeah, the high I've level. I've seen you post uh, pictures of it. Yeah, it's like uh, I did it. Okay, I can move on next. Yeah. <laughs> I beat the and level. And then tomorrow back down to 84. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, uh, all right, next. All right. So, the next one is from Juan from Idaho. Um, oh, he wanted to know about the uh, if we've seen this this greatest snare drum tuning trick ever thing that's been kind of flying around the internet for a while. Have you seen that? <laughs> no, uh, I mean, uh, you had to have seen it. I think it's uh, I'm gonna try to find. I think probably. it's Mass Off Drums. Oh, okay. I actually follow them on uh, on Instagram. Yeah, so they have, so, have great looking drums. Yeah, exactly. I don't know anything about them, but okay, um, it looks uh, cool. Well, I got a ten minute. Oh yeah, have you seen that? He's he's very specific about how to get like this really fat kind of dead snare sound. He has a I very, have not seen it. Yeah, well, you should check it out. Uh, but I'm going to okay. say, how, he asking like, how do we feel about it? I I think it's a lot of um, a lot of steps to get a sound that you can very easily get just by detuning two lugs on your drum. Just gotcha. leave it how you have it tuned now, medium. As long as you're in kind of a medium or a high tuning. If you just detune the two lugs that are closest to you, it's going to give you that basic effect. I don't think you have to be so scientific about how many turns you do each opposing lug and all that. Right. Um, it does work. I've tried it. I've definitely tried it. I try everything that I that I see about tuning because I'm just a nerd. But it didn't. I didn't feel like oh, there's a sound I've never achieved before just by detuning lugs. Um, right. Gotcha. So, but yeah, I think it's cool. I think anything anything's cool. I. I've seen some people question whether it would like destroy the drum head or throw your warp your hoops, and I don't. I don't think so. I wouldn't be worried about that. Uh, but yeah, try it. It's um, just YouTube, the greatest snare drum tuning trick ever. It's a ten minute, <laughs> a ten minute how to to get a, a dead kind of gushy snare sound. <laughs> Dude, you're awesome. I, I love. I, I love when I can just hear you. Uh, it's, it's awesome. Um, I like that ever is in all uh, capitals because yeah. this is not the greatest snare drum tuning trick ever. It's the greatest snare drum t- tuning trick 
Ever. <laughs> Ever. Because it's in all caps. <laughs> Forever. Hey, that's, all right, that's next. Called S- oh. That's called SEO right there because the video has 1.9 million views. Yeah. Damn. So, and that was – it's only – it's not even two years old. Yeah. But you know what? Yeah, I gotta, I'm going to do the greatest something. Uh, I mean, really, if, if the biggest thing to take out of this is if you want to get views on your video, give it a headline <laughs> like that. Yeah. I mean, he's got 900 thumbs down, but 28,000 thumbs up. I mean, it's he's doing pretty good with this thing. So, Hey, I, like I said, I follow his company. Um, <laughs> so I, I think he makes awesome-looking drums. Um, the only problem is he does a lot of stuff. Um, not the only problem, but the does a lot of stuff of pictures because the drums are so beautiful. But I want to I want to hear more of them as well. Um, so uh, yeah, check it out. And you can just uh, check out the whole company Massoff Drums dot com. It's M A S S H O F F Drums dot com. Like I said, I mean I really do follow them on on Instagram. Their, their drums are gorgeous. Yeah, so. he's doing cool stuff for sure. Okay, so all right, next one is from Brian. Brian, uh, currently in the Dominican Republic. I don't know if he's living there or if he was there at the time, but uh, he has a simple question that I think we might have answered, but maybe not specifically. What was the song that got you guys into drumming and why? Ooh, the song. Man, that's tough. I don't know if there was a song that did And yeah, I don't think we've answered this on a song level. Um, I would say probably the first song that I wanted to learn, um, note for note, might have been In the Air Tonight by Genesis mm. or Phil Collins. Um, just because even when I was young, I could play that Phil. Got, got. Right. Um, but it's actually, and I, I'm not being funny right now, it's a long pattern. Um, if you've ever tried to learn the actual, after the Phil, it's um, doom, do, got, doom, got. I mean, it's it, it goes. It's a four bar pattern. I can't uh-huh. remember it without playing it, but it's not the easiest thing in the world for a kid. Yeah, um, right. And so, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I would say probably in the air tonight. What about you? Yeah, I think. Um, gosh, I think I think it was Ice Ice Baby by Vanilla Ice. Okay, it was because no, I mean we. It was that. Sorry, go ahead. It was either that. No, you know what it was? It was Tone Loke Wild Thing. Because they, yeah, that's a sample of which I had no idea at the time. It's an Alex Van Halen sample, and my entire childhood was spent in front of the TV watching MTV and obsessing over yeah. Van Halen. So Van Halen for some when that when that single that Tone Loke song came out, I'm like, this sounds so cool, and I don't know why, and it, because it was he was sampling my favorite drummer that I wasn't even aware yeah, of. yeah. So that was the first song I learned either. how to play. Like I remember, okay, in the back of my. My parents had a Cavalier, a Chevy Cavalier, and I remember tapping yeah, it on the headrest, the the fill, yeah. and actually figuring it out. And my mom like smiling, like that's great, but can you stop doing that? Please? Yeah, yeah. Like mom, 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 I got it. Got it. Drive me to Tone Loke's house. I can audition. I'm ready to go. I got the fill. It's a wild thing. That's Tone cool. Loke. Yep. That's funny though. I mean, listen to what we both said. Both of our first songs were driven by the fill. Yeah, the exactly. groove was like oh, I'll figure that out, but I got to learn that. Doom doom or the doom 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 get get. And for me at the time, I had a twelve and a sixteen, so it went doom 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 get get. I was like, all right. I had a I had one of those toy kits. I had a sixteen inch bass drum, a ten inch rack tom, a ten inch snare, and a splash. That was how I played. I played Wild Thing on that, along with the entirety of. Rush Presto. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Nice. Yeah, exactly. I was going Billy Cobb Spectrum and in the air tonight. Um, yeah, buddy. And and due to my record player, I could never. I was like, God, I got to wait another three minutes till the drums come in. Right. And then I'd like move the needle and I'd go past the film like ah. So uh, very cool. All right, let's get to another one. All right, this one I I think this might be one for you because I've never really thought about my my bass drum technique that much. So John Parker. He's working on developing single stroke speed between his hands and bass drum, um, and he noticed that uh, instead of playing smooth legato strokes on the bass drum, my motion is more like consecutive double strokes with a little hitch in between every two notes. Yep. Um, If I try to play flowing legato strokes on the bass drum, his foot will only last about a bar before it starts to spaz out. Mm -hmm. Uh, He plays heels down, so he's just looking for some advice. It really, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, Even if I'm going between hand and foot, 
I look at my hand and it's going dun 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 dun, and I look at my foot and it's going go 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 go. But really? it, it sounds okay, but I can tell it's like there's some sort of like hitch, or there used to be. So here's how I worked it out, John. Um, I slowed down. And I just I, I made this decision in my mind that there is a BPM that I can play it sloppy, and we are not going to count that anymore. And then there's the BPM where I can play it flawlessly, and unfortunately, that's really where I'm at. So it took me from 16th note triplets at 110 as singles down to 16th note triplets at maybe 60. And it's like, okay, well, that's as fast as I can play it perfectly. And I just, I really had to build back up from scratch. And and I, I looked down at my bass drum constantly um, and just really tried to smooth the whole thing out. Now, to me, even if there was still a, a visual hitch, but the audio was fine, I really wouldn't care mm-hmm. um, at all. All I care about is the output. But it was so blatant and so visual that I was like, that's got to be, there's got to be some timing issues there. I'm making mm-hmm. up for that somewhere. Um, so really, it just it just became one of those things where, and I do that with all my students. Like, how fast can you play paradiddles? And they're like, uh, 210. I'm like, that's awesome. Let me see. <laughs> and then they do it, and I'm like, yeah, sorry. Uh, seven out of eight notes are baby bouncies. That yeah. that's not going to work. <laughs> let's let's find out where you're really at, and then and then we get all the way down to maybe 85, and they're like, "No, no, I want my 210." And I'm like, "I'm sorry, like that was a lie. You were living a lie. Let's let's just shed that skin and live in the now, man. You're an 85 BPM or high five. Let's get to 86 tomorrow." So I think it just comes down to slowing down putting on some music john so that you can do it for a long period of time and and you know you might just have to build up some new endurance and um, i mean so. you play in heel down i would think even yeah. though you might not be able to do heel up right now i think you might want to make it a point to do that because you can kind of yes. float a lot better and you're not over over at least for my experience you're not overworking the front of your shin like crazy i was gonna say the people down. that i really dig mm-hmm. on that play heel down play pretty sparse it's it's a lot of yeah it may be you know dense per measure but it's not a lot of notes in a row you know i think about um quick little burst mm-hmm. maybe and then a lot of syncopated drumming but but i don't see a lot of you know heel yeah, down not i so mean much. you just wear that out and your hip flexor can handle that more than the front of your shin can so i'm with you buddy all right you want to do one more yeah, well, we have we have two that are kind of on similar topics, so let's, okay. let's try to nail them both at once. Let me see here. So one is from Eric and one is from Curtis. So <clears throat> Eric's question is, um, so he, he went on tour with, with the band, and basically his role was to just kind of keep it to- keep time and lay it down. So his question is, should I worry about being the man who simply holds it down? Uh it looks like he's been spending a lot of time practicing, like three to four hours a day. Um, and so I guess he's wondering if if it's important. I mean, he's basically wanting to play more drums is what I'm getting out of this right. question. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so he says, should I think of the label as being a tasteful drummer as anything other than a badge of honor? Uh, so he's basically looking for our thoughts on is it worth it to practice things that you're not actually going to use uh, right. and then this other one from Curtis um, have you ever dealt with complacent, complacency or lack of drive due to the fear um, d- due to the fact that you you're delivering what people want as a player but you're not as good as you want to be hmm. so that's another thing where he's he's, sure. he's trying to find the inspiration to get better when no one's demanding it of him yeah, and that is tough. I, I agree. I mean, I think I, I was really lucky that I had a grandfather that was part of the jazz scene when it was really happening. Like, he got to see all of the greats, Miles and Coltrane and everything. Mm-hmm. And so he was part of that scene and, and talked to me about, like, the birth of Bop and and seeing these guys play – you know their radio show gig that was probably boring as all hell for them, but then playing in front of twenty people at midnight at a club and they would burn. Right. You know, yeah. so that's always been in the back of my head was that if I was doing the Steve Jordan type gigs, 
I could always have a side project that four people came out to see, but we just went in, you know? And it gave me that kind of like, okay, at least I got that off my chest. Now I can go play my pop gig again. And so I think it really comes down to happiness. Um, Are you happy playing the simple stuff? And... Uh, or, or are you tortured? I was literally I, uh, tortured is a strong word, but I was definitely in my own personal hell while touring because it wasn't my thing. So it's like it doesn't it didn't matter if it was somebody else's thing. I, I just didn't dig it. Um, and I moved to something that made me happy, which was teaching, which in in my family's mind and in my friend's mind was a step down. Like mm. you're leaving your signed van to teach private drum lessons. And it's like, yeah, but I'm happy as, as all get out. So what does it matter? Yeah. So I think it comes down to your happiness. If you're happy playing that stuff, then don't feel that it's silly. I mean, Steve Jordan doesn't feel it's silly. He does just fine with it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. so, so what do you think, man? Well, uh, the first thing that came to mind was uh, you and I's favorite drummer of all time matt chamberlain i mean the guy is mm-hmm. tireless in his he's he's one of the most restless drummers i've ever met like he's constantly exploring and trying new things putting up videos of him jamming to odd time modular synth loops and making records of of him you know just programming just crazy things and just jamming on the drums over it and then he goes down to nashville and makes a record with keith urban uh, right and i think the two are not mutually exclusive because all the creative stuff and the constant practicing and the, the exploration he does on his own, which I think to answer the question is that needs to be a drive from within to get better. I think always you can't have you can't rely on someone else to expect you to be better before you then become better because it, I think you're always chasing right. your tail in that case. But yeah, so I think in in his case. All that stuff he's doing on his own, playing music that really, in the grand scheme of things, no one's ever going to hear, is so then when he goes to do these seemingly mundane, boring sessions, he's got some tweak to bring to the table. He's got something different. He can do, he's got all these new colors and new ideas, and so he can just throw one extra thing in that song, and it's... It makes the song. I mean, you take his drum yeah. tracks out of those Keith Urban songs or take his drum tracks out of Wallflowers or Fiona Apple or he's on the Miranda Lambert's new record or the um, the hits that he did with Miranda Lambert a few years back. If you take his drum yeah. tracks out, it's just like a boring country song. But you put his oh, yeah. you put his drums in there, you're like, dang, this has got some vibe. There's, some, there's something going Absolutely. on. And he's not yeah, playing yeah. like crazy stuff. It's just... He brought some sort of tweak that he discovered on his own, whatever it is. And and you and I got a chance. I mean, as fans, like, well, then we get Critters Buggin' and we get the thing that he just did uh, that you sent me a little while yeah, ago. Yeah, Comet B um, and Prometheus yeah. Risen. Yeah. Yeah, we get that kind of stuff. So it's, I think there is room for the exploration out there. And I agree. I think it comes down to, dude, if, if you like making songs feel great then there's nothing wrong with just holding it down and uh yeah and laying it down and then practice i mean that's to me my practice there's practice when it's okay i've got this thing coming up and i gotta perform i gotta it's more like homework but then there's i have nothing coming up and i'm gonna go practice tonight that's a selfish thing like i want to get better just for getting better i'm not thinking about where i'm gonna use it or if i'm ever gonna get to use it it might just be this thing stuck in my head where Mike sends me a six note linear pattern. I'm like, I'm going to explore the hell out of this thing. So, yeah. um, so there you go, man. I think you're going to be just fine. Just enjoy every ounce of it. Yep. And keep, keep pushing yourself. That's the ultimate thing. You have to, you have to want to get better for yourself and it will influence your, your music making with others. No matter what, if you're playing two and four with brushes, you're going to do something different when you really get into just be curious i think that's the thing be curious yeah i I agree and it's always nice too to have a little something in the bag when they go and on drums we've got and you you don't go like oh crap you're like no this is this is my favorite part of the night i got this (laughs) living for the only thing i can do yeah exactly uh three hours of of work just so i could have this 45 seconds to shine um all right, guys. Well, like I said, keep sending in your questions. You can do audio or text uh, to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com, and we will get to them as soon as we can. Now it is time for our picks of the week, and this one comes with a little a, t- a test for you, Mike. Okay. So I'm going to give you uh, a little experiment that was done in this book that I'm reading called Originals. Uh, so the book is called Originals, uh, subtitled How Nonconformists Move the World. It's by Adam Grant. And... It's really about the concept that in our world, 
we need to have people that just follow the rules and don't ask questions and just just do whatever they're told. They just do it because without them, we don't have a world. Our world will not function. But without the 5% that does not conform and does ask questions and does push for things, that's how we move forward. So we need both. Mm-hmm. So uh, in this book, Originals, they did this experiment and I think they surveyed like 4,000 workers of – I'm talking everything from garbage men to computer scientists, everything. Okay. And they found in every field there was this group of like 10% that just did better at their job. Like I said, 10% better garbage men, 10% better this and that. So they just found these groups this, – this whole group of people that were just better at their job. They were um, – and they were also advancing. They were moving forward. So they tried to narrow it down. Is it male or female? No correlation. Then it must be education, no correlation. Uh, mm. Then it was economics, uh, economics stand, uh, status. Where did they come from? All that, still no correlation. And they finally narrowed it down to web browsers. And what? Okay, so stick with me here. The people that used Firefox or Google Chrome always did better at their jobs and moved forward. The people that used Safari or Explorer <laughs> did not. <laughs> Do you know why? Do I know why? I couldn't figure it out. Yep. Why they would be better at their job because of they're using Google Chrome. Or Firefox. Or Firefox, which I think are two completely different items. Uh, They are. uh, I don't, because YouTube is attached to Chrome. I don't know. I couldn't figure it out either, um, and uh, so it does relate back to the book, um, How Nonconformists Move the World, Originals. So what it is is that all PCs come shipped with Explorer, and all Macs come shipped with Safari. Ah. The people that will not allow for that, for they want to search out for something better, so they find the best browser possible. They don't accept what came on their computer. That, that relates to every aspect in their life. They never expect what's given to them. They, you know, or, or they never take it. They, they want more, want more, want better, better, better. And so, yeah, it was, it was a crazy experiment. And uh, the whole book is about <laughs> things like that. And uh, it's really, and I was like, yes, Firefox. Now, be honest. I use where Chrome. Are you? I use Google Chrome. Yes. 100%, 100% of the time. <laughs> and we're moving, we're moving the world forward beautiful man um so yeah i thought it was a really cool thing and it makes a lot of sense like your computer comes shipped with something and when you launch a pc to like actually activate it 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 launches explore gets you on the internet right away same thing with your mac it it brings up safari and you're good to go and so it's like the people that won't allow like they they just search for something better they fit into that group garbage men to rocket scientists so there you go the book is called originals you can get it for 15.99 in hardcover on Amazon.com or paperback for eleven fifty nine, and it's by Adam Grant. Very interesting. That is my pick of the week. Wow, I'm kind of like mind blown. It makes sense. I mean, it's you're, yeah. I guess it, you're kind of drawing some some slight assumptions that I guess they could, they were sure. able to prove them, but that's interesting. Sure, I mean, but it, it is something to think about. That it's like, yeah, I could I could totally see the people that are like, why would I ever need a different browser? It came with a great one, and it's like, yeah, how do you know? You, <laughs> right, yeah. You have yeah, to try the them all out, right? And they're <laughs> and they're like, "No, I don't need to try them out. It came with a working one. I'm fine." It's like, "How long have you been at your job?" "26 years." <laughs> "Have you ever advanced?" "Nope." It's like, "All right." <laughs> now, I'm sure I'm going to get some hate mail from the Explorer users that are like, "Hey, I'm the president of my company." Uh, yeah. "Jerk." But anyway, better things it, it, it to worry was a, about like my employees and their retirement yeah. funds. <laughs> Sorry, I just solved clean water for Africa. I didn't have time to download Chrome, Mike. <laughs> Uh, I guess mine. Anyways, what's your amazing pick of the week? You got a drum key that's a magnet. No, I guess mine kind of correlates to that because I've I've been trying every digital audio workstation I can get my hands on to try to find the one that I think is the best for what I'm trying to do. What have you been using in the past? Pro Tools. I've used. I mean, I started out using GarageBand. Actually, I started out using Digital Performer in college, and then then. Uh, GarageBand when I got my first Mac and then Pro Tools because that was what everyone said you had to have and I just don't like sure. it. I just don't like Pro Tools personally. Um, the past 
five, six years, it's been Ableton Live, which is definitely not oh, a, that's right. a standard uh, tracking mm-hmm. software, but I think it's really powerful. But when I got my new computer, I went ahead and got Logic Pro X, which is an Apple product, so it comes pre-installed. You don't have to worry about that. But it is it has a I mean it's a couple hundred dollars where it like Ableton Live I think is nine hundred dollars to get the whole thing with all the the plugins and all the, okay. the synthesizers <clears throat> and stuff. I think Logic Pro is like three fifty and it comes with like easily ten thousand dollars worth of, of software already in it as far as effects. It's got all your standard effects, compression, EQ, uh reverbs and all that, but it comes with a ton of really great sounding like synthesizers and things so for me i'm able to just plug in my midi keyboard and write my own loops for the first time and, and it's, oh, wow. it's super easy and it also comes with a, a pretty extensive library of of loops percussion loops and things that you can drag in and and build your own tracks so logic pro x for me is is a very inspiring doll that also records drums very well and there's a lot of good right. features for editing that are super easy so if you do three takes of, of a song, you can very easily drag sections that you want to have into the master take. It's really, really easy. But So I have a quick question about that. Yep. Um, so let's say, since I've never had to do the home studio guy thing, I've never recorded drums here for audio purposes only and sent them to somebody else. When somebody's working in a Pro Tools thing and they say, okay, um, here's here's my session i want you i want mike dawson to record drums on it and they and they say they want the stems does that literally just mean wave files or does it have to be a pro tools session to mix with a pro Tools session no everything now is as long as you have the sample rate and the uh the bit depth the same okay i just have them send me usually a stereo mix of whatever the track is the reference track and then okay a stereo mix or a, a mono mix of the click track that they're using Mm-hmm. So I have the click separate, and then I have just a mix of, of their track. And then I just import that into Ableton Live or Logic and you know, just make sure my tempo is synced up with theirs. And, and occasionally I have to drag it a little bit to get it to line up. But And then what are you sending them? Are you sending them waves of the snare kick yep, and exactly. everything? Exactly. I just render everything as, as wave or AIF depending on what they want. And it's at the same okay. sample rate and bit depth that they're using. So then when they pull okay. it into their session, it... It just works. Um, oh, okay. Cool. I've never had to. I, a couple of times, I've I've shared actual session files, but it ends up being a pain in the butt because it, it ends up being really large. So Got it's it. easier to just export the files. And when I do that, I can export the files with you know whatever little tweaks I'm going to do to the sound up front with you know subtractive EQ to get rid of some muddiness and stuff. So that gotcha. kind of gets burned into the file. So then they're getting a, a pretty close to mix ready track rather than sending them just the raw recordings awesome. and then they've got to do all that work so anyway logic for me is not only a great recording tool but at, at night i'm just going down and just plugging in my keyboard and messing around and it's been really inspiring I've, that's there's cool, a lot man. of like guitar amp simulators that sound great there's pedal boards you can you know so if you record a like a fender Rhodes keyboard part you can drop one like a pedal board of like tons of guitar effects and stuff and really it's really cool so that's my pick of the week it's been you know, it was the best 350 bucks that I've spent in the past. Well, I think that's awesome. I mean, and even though you said it came um, preloaded on a Mac or whatever, I mean, it's still something that you've gone through Pro Tools and GarageBand yeah. and everything else to find that. And I did the same thing. I mean, I bought, uh, what's Presonus's? Is it a Studio One, I think? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. So I, I got Studio One. I got Cakewalk Sonar. I oh, yeah. Pro I Tools. used Cakewalk, too, back in the day, a pirated yeah. version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I, you know, and so that's kind of what it's like. I did the same thing for video. You know, I, I, I thought, okay, maybe I should get a Mac. So I have Final Cut Pro. So I tried Final Cut Pro. I tried Adobe Premiere. I tried DaVinci Resolve. I went through everything. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, man, it all, it all works out. Well, I'm, I'm glad you found the DAW that you, that you like, cause that's to me, a DAW is more than just a digital audio workstation. It's an environment that I'm going to be spending a lot of visual an emotional time in yeah that's why i ended up with the lamest one ever made mixcraft is because i feel comfortable in it like yeah, yeah so it's like you know i'm sure it's not the greatest ever but when i'm in it for two or three hours i feel comfortable when i'm in pro tools or even uh sonar by cakewalk 
I don't know. It's just it's it's just not my thing. I feel stressed. Well, I'm still in still in the uh, getting to know you phase where we're Ableton Live. It's like I'm I'm home. I can start working right away. But right, there's definitely a learning curve. Everything is just it's it's funny because all these programs are now sharing features. Like there's things that that Ableton Live only did five years ago that now everyone else is starting to do. Right. So that's what's kind of confusing me. I'm like, where is? How do I gain up the freaking audio on one track? Like, what do I do? On, on Ableton right, Live, yeah, I know yeah. exactly where it is. Where is it in Logic? Yeah. Where and I'm you just, know the shortcuts and yeah. everything. And so I'm figuring yeah, it out. But I mean, what? Just the the flexibility of the editing is what is kind of killing me. Like having to, I can highlight half a beat that I want to replace one snare drum note, and I don't have to do any copy and pasting. It just does it automatically. So right. it's a pretty fantastic program. And just the fact nice. that you're getting like samples of every keyboard and and synth sound, it's just there. You don't have to install yeah. anything. It's just there, and you can just plug in a MIDI keyboard and just start writing. That's been super fun. I love it. I love it. Well, check out um, Logic Pro. Logic Pro X. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Logic Pro it's X. Mac only, unfortunately, but get a Mac. There you go. Get a Mac anyway. <laughs> no, oh, let's not start. Uh, check out the book Originals and Logic Pro X if you weren't able to get a PC and you got stuck with a Mac. All right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have all Apple products at the house. All right. Everyone, have a fantastic week. Uh, I think that's kind of it. Yeah, that's it. So- that was a solid sign-off. <laughs> have a good week. Don't have a good week. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Is that today? I don't know. It's just cold. I don't either. (laughs) It's just cold. All right. Everybody, we will see you guys next week. See you later. Peace. Why do I have to have the last word? I don't know, man. So just keep going. Let's see how long. (laughs) I don't know, man. That was was so...